Today's scripture reading is taken from Daniel. I'm going to do something I'm not allowed to do. (laughs) I'm going to grow off script just a little bit, Pastor Alan, just a tiny bit, and I'll explain why. Um, So I have been, um, for a couple of weeks, I have been struggling with issues at work, which maybe some of you also do, and I didn't know how to approach it. Do I send an email? Do I lash out? Do I keep quiet? What do I do? So I said, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to church, and I'm going to find my answer. So I came to church a couple weeks ago, and found some answers. I found out about joy killers. Um, So that's quite, you know, um, fitting. Um, In some communities, we will call them haters. (laughs) So that's quite fitting to people who are jealous. Um, So when I came to um, prepare for um, leading worship, I found my answer in Daniel. I, when I was smaller, I knew that Daniel was thrown in the lion's den and he was saved. But when I read the scripture, I got it, I got the context. So it's pretty long, but it's worth it. <laughs> okay, um, Daniel 6, 1 to 28. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, including Daniel. To these the satraps gave account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit spirit was in him, and the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and the satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom, but they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful, and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. The men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So the presidents and the satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the perfects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an interdict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the interdict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Parisians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and interdict. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open towards Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said, concerning the interdict, O king, did you not sign an interdict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, the thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Parisians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king, Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the interdict you have signed, 
but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very distressed. He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is, the, it is a law of the Medes and Parisians that no interdict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into a den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. A stone was brought and laid out of the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. When he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Let me repeat, because he had trusted in his God, amen? The king gave a command and those who had accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. Before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations of every language throughout the whole world, May you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and reigned in Cyrus the Parisian. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks, Sherry Lynn. It's good to hear the whole story. It gives you a sense of what's, what's going on. The book of Daniel is, uh, is actually a pretty interesting book um, from a variety of factors. If you had a chance to read the whole book, it begins with uh, the fall of... Um, Jerusalem and the beginning of the exile period. And at the beginning of the story, in the earlier chapters, we hear the story that all of the young and beautiful people in the, uh, in the country of Israel and Jerusalem are saved and they are brought to uh, Babylon so that they might be indoctrinated and uh, integrated into society and used uh, to benefit the Babylonian kingdom. And so Daniel was one of those young folk who went, uh, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember that story in Daniel chapter 3. So the book follows that whole time, which is a 70-year period. 
So Daniel goes into Babylon as a young man. And so what's also interesting, if you read chapter 5, the preceding chapter, it tells the story of not Nebuchadnezzar, but his son Balthasar, who is now king of the entire Babylonian empire. And at the very end of chapter 5, there is the story through 5, where he is having a massive banquet, and he is just telling people how great he is. His ego is right there, to the degree that he sends his people, his stewards, into the archives and brings out the holy vessels that had been in the temple back in Jerusalem. They had been saved, they'd been used, and they were put aside. He brings them into the banquet and he starts having all his crowd, a crowd of over a thousand people, drinking from these holy objects that were in the temple. During that, all of a sudden, a finger appears and starts writing on the wall. Balthazar is blown away by that, and he has a bad feeling about it. And so he calls his wise people to come and interpret. None of them can do it. He's heard about Babylon. His wife tells him about, sorry, Daniel. Daniel comes and explains, and it's not good news. It is, Balthazar, you are king, but you are full of yourself, and indeed, your kingdom is going to be judged. The end of chapter 5 is that Balthazar dies that very night. All right, So that's the end of chapter 5. And not only does he die, but the per Medes and Persians come marching into Babylon and now take over. So there's a whole new kingdom. All of that is the beginning of chapter 6. So, Daniel is no longer a young man. Daniel has gone through this whole period. He is now an older gentleman who is respected for his wisdom. He is the one that we are hearing the story about. That normally is not presented in terms of, for example, the art piece of Daniel in the lion's head. We're going to see a bit of that. Daniel is presented as a young man. The stories are conflated between three and six. He is not a young man anymore. He's an older gentleman who's gone through the entire Babylonian period. He's, a, he's 80 at least at this point. You see what I mean? Interesting story. Lots going on. Nevertheless, here we go. We'll turn this on. And we have a map. What's interesting then with the, the story of the Medes and Persians taking over, this is now the largest empire that's ever existed in human history. The Medes and Persians is massive. And so it goes all the way on the, the red line is the outline of the um, empire of the Medes and Persians. And so it, it, you see it follows all the way into Africa, through the Middle East, well into all of Asia, and into Iran, Iraq, and so on. It's, it's great. It's huge. And so, at the beginning of chapter 6, because of that, there is a reorganization. It is so big, the government, the new government, decides they're going to arrange things differently. And so three directors or presidents are put in charge, and quickly, Daniel being one of them, and quickly he rises to the top, he rises to ascendancy, and the others become jealous. So Sherry Lynch mentioned that 
were jealous. And so they are indeed jealous. And so that's the beginning of the story. Why should this Jew from Israel be made the number one director over all of our empire? And he is because the king trusts him. The king has confidence that he will not stab him in the back or one of his friends in the middle of the night. It was a rough day. Notice what happens at the end of the story in chapter 6. The Medes and Persians are a tough crowd. They have all those who were working against him and Daniel, what, thrown into the lion's den and they're all killed. The Bible, by the way, is not affirming that. It's just telling what happened by the Medes and Persians. They were a tough group. So that keeps us going. That's the background. Kind of interesting. So there's a plot, and we can move through this reasonably quickly. The men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So a word that we've heard a lot, if you ever watch CNN news, is the word collusion. What's, been, what's charged against Trump? Collusion. You've all worked, and before you colluded with the Russians. This is a massive word. It's number one on CNN, collusion. That isn't the case here. It really has been happening. These other directors collude, motivated by jealousy, and say, clearly he's not breaking the law. We've got to find something that is against the king. So there's a plot. They collude. And not only do they collude, they entrap Daniel because they know that he's going to go and pray regardless because that's his law in his religion. They check it out. I don't know. Do they sneak into his room? Do they just see him by the open window? We don't know. But they see him praying. What do they do? They go to the king. And they say, king, and get this, Three times in that long story, there's a text, you cannot break the law of the Medes and Persians. This has even become a truism in our society today. The Medes and Persians, it's a law. The point is, three different times, king, you have signed one of these laws of the Medes and Persians, therefore it cannot be broken. And even the king has to accept that. Do you see what I mean? So that's what's being emphasized in our text so collusion and entrapment. Then there's the accusation. We just move through it. An accusation. Although Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open towards Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him just as he had done previously. So we hear a story about Daniel praying. So Daniel is this older gentleman who has an intimate relationship with God. He has his sequence of praying. He does it every day, and he continues to pray. Note at the bottom, regardless of there's a crisis or not. Whether it's good times or bad times, Daniel prays. That's what he's doing. And his praise is essentially one of thanks. God, you have been working and I give you praise, I give you thanks. So we'll consider that at the end, but that's not a bad place to pause right there. Daniel has this habit of prayer. 
We know that prayer is one of the most one of the major forms of spiritual formation. Prayer is a conversation with God. We are all invited to have this conversation with God. Everybody, everybody here, we can all praise God as much as we want. We can all go to Him in conversation. But sometimes we go, sometimes we don't go. There's no competition here. It's all an invitation for us to have our own conversation and habit of prayer with God, will we indeed do it? That's what Daniel is doing. The accusers know about it, and they go check it out, and they go and tell the king, and he's thrown in the lion's den. So here's a part of the Rubens piece, which was massive. This, by the way, was at the AGO recently. I saw this, and it's, it's, it's a it's got to be 20 feet long, the canvas. It's big, big, big. And you notice there, Daniel is a younger, strong, healthy guy. Rubens didn't get it right there. He, by the way, Rubens, went to the zoo, I think it was in Amsterdam, and he studied the, the lions, what they looked like in close, so that he could paint this picture. So he was looking at real lions. He obviously does a pretty good job on them, right? There he is. The whole canvas also presents the, the angel guarding. And here we have the angel of God. He is Yahweh. We, one of our songs talked about the angels, or maybe it was Awesome God. The angels are real. They protected Daniel through the night. So that's the accusation. So then we come to the deliverance, which is really what the main part of the story is about. The king, who has been fasting and praying all night, as Sherilyn mentioned, when he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel because he knows that he's been tricked by his accusers, Daniel's. Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? He hopes that's the case. Then Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you. O king, I have done no wrong. Interesting, in Isaiah chapter 9, when it speaks about the age to come, we're told of the, of the great animals uh, lying in peace, even so the cobra at the, with a little baby at the uh, nest of the cobra won't be harmed. And so Joyce Baldwin, who is a commentator on, very fine commentator, a woman on the prophets, talks about this maybe being a, an image, a presaging of future days in the future where we will be at one. So the animals will recognize, oh no, we don't go after people because they are created in the image of God, possibly. So we have this dialogue that's going on. The king comes, Daniel is still in the cave. The king then makes a decree, which we read at the beginning of the service, two characteristics. One is that God is the living God. All of these great empires had their idols made of gold, made of silver, often in the image of the king. Some great, great image recognizing this. 
I was in one of the cities in India years ago, and in the middle, it's in central India, and right in this city, in the middle, there's massive lake. And then in the middle of the lake, there is a Buddha that's about 30 feet high. It's huge, just kind of standing over the, over the whole city. Just interesting. So different images are used. But for Daniel, he's saying is God is the living God, which is an important piece, that God is our living God, that he is living today as much as when he created our universe. And when this universe is finished and there will be a new age and a new kingdom, we will be with God. God is the living God. And this God, living God, wants to be in a relationship with you and me. That is so amazing. Why would the living God want to be in a relationship with us, with me? We, you know, we, it's hard to just get our act together, and God still loves us, cares for us. He is the living God. And secondly, he's a living God who delivers and who saves. And so the dramatic action is Daniel, but God works in our lives and saves us just as much. We can be in some situation. It may not be as graphic as a lion in front of us, but God saves us. I remember my nephew was, was going up a mountain uh, on Vancouver Island, and he's going up this place, this up, 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 up. He had seen it. He climbs all the way up, and when he comes over the top, there's a bear right there, a big bear greeting him. He comes up, and there's the bear. He says a little prayer. Oh, my. Praise. Guess what happens? Prayer just, the bear just turns around and walks away. Well, that could have been the end, very easily, of Harrison that day. Bears do attack people in Western Canada. It happens all the time. This bear, I don't know. Did he get a little thing in his mind? Uh, I'll leave this guy alone. I don't know. I don't know what happens, but he leaves anyway. Harrison could say he was saved. He certainly prayed. That's what he believes. I was saved. So God delivers us. God saves us. Doesn't always work out every situation, does it? Martin Luther King Jr. was saved many times, but then someone got a rifle and shot him, killed him. He wasn't saved that day in that immediate situation. But Martin Luther King is alive. He's with God. He's with us. One day we'll meet him. We all have our end. We all have our purpose. God saves us. God delivers us. So that's, a, that's, that's an amazing truth, and we'll see that again as it comes back to us. Joyce Baldwin says, to follow this up, it follows that there can never be an emperor so mighty that he is not under the control of the only God. Not only will his end come when God sees fit, but meanwhile he will serve God's purposes. And if he persists in his arrogance, he will be brought up short by God's intervention. Certainly that was the case what happened with Balthazar, if you read chapter 5. Darius, who is also Cyrus, two different names for the same person, eventually his kingdom comes to an end as well. So Baldwin is reminding us that, you know what, people have their roles they play. 
And somebody who doesn't know God can still be used by God for his purposes. That's the reality. That's what Baldwin is recognizing. That's what happened in terms of Israel being moved and then brought back to the land. God works in strange ways. So that's part of his right as creator of the universe. He's a little smarter than we are. He understands things. He does it in his way. So when we come then, going forward in terms of our own application, one, Daniel is a model of faith, for sure. He reminds us of faithfulness. An older guy, 70 years, continuing to serve God, serve God, serve God, in a crisis situation, even in a cave, he keeps trusting God. He's a model for us. So that Hebrews chapter 11 acknowledges this. It doesn't say him by name, but it's an allusion to this story. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched raging fire, Daniel chapter 3, escaped the edge of the sword, won strength out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We're called to live in faith. We're called to walk around some city that goes back 10,000 years before Christ called Jericho, walk it around it seven times, and see what happens. And the whole place falls down. So it's, it's, it's a calling for us to trust and depend and lean on God. And you have to do that, and I have to do that. No one can do it for you. You have to have your own faith. It's not your parents' faith. It's not your brother's faith, your, your spouse's faith, anyone else. It has to be your faith. You and God. God wants a relationship with you. So Daniel's a good model for us has, as all of these stories we've been looking at, Nehemiah, Esther. Who else have we looked at? Anyway, maybe that's a, we'll see more. Models of faith. Ezra, Ezra yes, good. Joseph. Daniel's habit of prayer. We've mentioned it. Prayer is a discipline to be practiced each day. Simple statement. You and I are called to pray. Why? Because prayer fortifies our relationship with God in whatever way you want to pray. No rules on how you have to pray, but spend time with God. That's the whole point. Will I grow in my prayer with God? Know Him. Be with Him. It's our choice. And finally, Daniel is a type for Jesus. A type in Old Testament means that he's a representative. It gives us an image of Jesus. So it's interesting that Daniel is put into this cave, into this tomb, as Jesus was. Note also, there is a stone that's put over the seal of the door, at least the one door, so he's locked in, he can't escape. He might as well be dead. He's been thrown in with the, the lions. Everybody expects him to be to be killed, really including the, the king. That's what he really anticipates. But miraculously, he is saved. He is brought out of the case. If you like, the stone is rolled back. 
He rises. He's there. It's an example. It's a type, a metaphor for Jesus also. It speaks of Jesus' own resurrection, who is raised by God, right? Jesus doesn't raise himself. It's always in the passive. Jesus has been raised. God works in Jesus' life and raises him back to life. He can't do it on his own. He's raised. And because Jesus is raised, what do we know? We will be raised. We will be raised. And actually, the first book in the Old Testament that talks clearly about the resurrection from the dead is Daniel, and it's this verse. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and to some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That's what the prophet says. Make a choice. Shine like stars. Jesus says what? Be salt, be light. Be light. Bring in God's kingdom here and now. We look forward to a great hope, but we're called to do something different now. Is that not the case? That was the whole point of Martin Luther King. Let's bring justice now. Civil disobedience. Martin Luther King. Daniel, civil disobedience. You tell me not to pray, I am going to pray. Why? Because God's rule is bigger than the rule of the Medes and Persians. You may say three times in this chapter that the Medes and Persians have all the great laws. The story tells us God's rule is bigger. And I will pray, regardless of what the king says. And it may be the end. It may be the end. The three young guys in chapter 3, you know what their response is? They say, we do not know if we will be saved when we're put in the furnace. But all we know is that we will follow God and not worship the idol. Come what may. You throw us in, we may burn up, man. But we are not worshiping your 30-foot, 60-foot idol. Forget it. This is what Daniel's saying too. Throw me into the lion's tomb. I'll go if that's what it is. Could be worse ways than being torn up by a lion. I don't know. I think about it sometimes with sharks. I remember staring right into the eye of a, of a hammerhead. He was like four feet away. He was looking right at me in his eyes. We looked locked in. And lucky enough, I had a buddy who was diving, and all of a sudden, he's coming behind me, and he starts making the noise. And slowly, the hammerhead just turns around and goes away. I thought later, it might have been my friend John coming that disturbed that, head, that hammerhead. I don't know. He was locked right in. Worst ways, I guess. Could be a lion. I don't know. Whatever, right? Whatever. We are with God. We know him. We trust in him. We lean on him. That's the story of Daniel. So, whatever's going on in your life, whatever, whatever the lions are, I don't know. Bruce Coburn, wondering where the lions are, man. Where are the lions? Sometimes everything's going so groovy. Where are the lions? I heard about lions. Wondered where they are. Well, they're out there, all right. And they're waiting. And we have to... Trust and depend and lean on God. He's the living God, the living God who saves us, delivers us. 
as a people, as a church community, also as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen.